0: Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. My guest this episode is Matt Yanni. Matt's a friend from Grant County, Washington. Grant County's in eastern Washington, east of the Cascades, and is a pretty dry place overall. A lot of sagebrush, a lot of rocky outcroppings, and a lot of agricultural land. And there are a relative handful of places around there that have uh, much vegetation. Some parks, city parks, and uh, the big Pothole State Park are places we talk about in the podcast. Those are nutrient-rich areas for migrating songbirds. Songbirds, in their migration, need to stop now and then to feed. They can't fly all the way to you know Central America, South America, nonstop. Uh, they're little guys, and they need to stop and eat now and then. And a bird that's traveling through those relatively desert, not too hospitable areas with a lot of places to hide and places to eat, if you're a bird that usually eats in leafy green areas or uh, kind of first trees, that sort of thing, uh, has a place to stop. So these, these little areas with trees in that area are relative magnets for these migrating birds. And uh, some birds don't migrate in the usual pattern that most of the others of their species take. Instead, they end up in somewhat aberrant or unusual places. And so they have to really look harder for places to stop. And so these relatively vegetated areas that Matt uh, looks at very frequently during fall and spring migration have led him to become very proficient at finding uh, migrant unusual birds for the area. And we all appreciate it because a lot of us will go out and chase some of these birds that Matt finds. So that's really cool. Well, migration is in full swing all over the place. I live in Pierce County, Washington. In Pierce County, we are in the southern part of the Puget Sound. So to get from the Pacific Ocean to here, a bird that usually is out in the ocean would have to fly all the way in the Strait of Juan de Fuca and then hang a southward migration from there, or southward journey from there, into uh, the uh, waters that head down towards Seattle. And then when it gets to Seattle, it would have to veer either left or right around Vashon Island and get down past Vashon Island to the Tacoma Area Commencement Bay where I live. So that's a long ways from the open ocean. So not that many birds that usually belong at sea get all messed up and end up in here. I don't know if they're messed up, but they end up in here in small numbers. Well, this week, a small flock of arctic terns ended up in here. Got me to looking at, this is a Pierce County first species. I haven't seen it, uh, but others did. An arctic tern was first seen by Dave Slager at uh, the very southern King County area Dash Point State Park, Well, just literally around the corner from there is Pierce County. So Dave saw these birds in King County and saw them fly around the point into Pierce County. So he let us know in Pierce County that there are terns headed our way. We should keep an eye open. This was late in the day. Well, sure enough, the next day, lots of birds were out looking for these arctic terns. And who else but Will Brooks. Will was a guest on my podcast uh, a year or so ago. And Will, super birder from the University of Puget Sound, just graduated this year, managed to spot a flock of 11 small terns off Dunes Peninsula. And he got some photos, and sure enough, they're a flock of Arctic terns. Well, Marcus uh, Roenig and Heather Bausch were birding at the same time very nearby and got to see the same birds. Uh, So Pierce County first species, Arctic terns. Well, Arctic terns are a migrant extraordinaire. and turns out they tend to migrate in small flocks, just like this flock of birds. From what I can find, flocks of 10 to 15 birds are the usual migrating flocks of Arctic terns. Arctic terns, unlike shorebirds, our shorebirds are born... Uh, precocial. In other words, they're born with uh, feathers and can walk around and feed for themselves and keep their body temperature up within just a day or two of being born. And their parents literally uh, hatch them. As soon as they're walking around feeding, take off, do their migration, and the juveniles find their own way on their huge migration south. Well, arctic terns migrate with their young. takes them a while to get the young out of the nest. They fledge them, and they do their migration in small groups. I don't know if they're family groups or how that works, but uh, they migrate in small groups. Well, it turns out one of these small groups probably got way the heck off course and into Pierce County. Uh, To get to Pierce County uh, from the open ocean where these birds probably migrate more regularly, you'd have to go all the way in the Strait of Juan de Fuca, hang south at the end of the strait, go all the way down to Seattle, bend around Vashon Island, and end up down here south of Vashon Island. So a long ways out of their usual path, but, Pretty big water, Puget Sound. So uh, Will thinks, and I think it's probably possible that more Arctic terns show up around here than I usually recognize because it's just hard to identify them I mean there. They tend to be way the heck off, moving quickly, and we get common terns here much more frequently and they look a lot alike. Now, check out the difference between Arctic terns and common terns. It's not that easy unless you get a good look. I checked out Will's pictures on eBird. You can check that out. I'll put a link in the blog post that goes along with this episode. But uh checked out his pictures and the, the things you look for are pretty well documented. The wings are set forward, the head is, only extends a little ways past the wing, the body and tail look long behind the wings, and they don't have the dark uh, area in the outer wings that typically common terns have. So it's a Pretty nice uh, photos for, you know, tough to photograph flying birds out over the ocean. I was impressed with that. But Arctic terns showed up in Pierce County. And I got into this because of migration. Migration is this incredible phenomenon where a lot of birds breed in one area and travel a long ways to another area to spend their winters. Typically, birds around here that we see in migration breed way north of here and go way south of here to spend their winters. Arctic terns are the world champion uh, long-distance migrants. Probably travel farther in a routine year than any other animal on Earth. Uh, They breed, typically in the Arctic. And I I was able to find two studies recently using geolocators. Geolocators are little tiny devices that will hook onto a bird, and it can track where they travel throughout the year. Uh, An initial study was done in around 2009 and 2010, with geolocators that were not terribly accurate, but could tell a rough course of where the birds traveled. And those birds take this incredible route. They, they tagged birds from Greenland and uh, Newfoundland, and those birds did an approximately 90,000 kilometer migration pattern through the course of a year. They would fly south uh, from uh, their breeding grounds in, in the Arctic, uh, to an area in the North Atlantic where they'd hang out for close to a month oftentimes, feeding up in a nutrient-rich area where northern currents meet southern currents and create an up in a nutrient-rich area that a lot of birds hang out at. Then uh, they would fly south, some of them going down the coast of Africa, others crossing the Atlantic all the way off to the coast of Brazil, uh, and then all of them would end up down in Antarctic waters for the for the austral summer down there, Uh, would spend most of the year there, and would take a route back that was roughly three quarters as long as their route down, more direct, but still not direct at all, Uh, and they do it in about half the time. So like most migrants, the spring migration is more rapid and direct uh, and important to get just to the right place at just the right time to breed on. Well, another study done in Ireland uh, was done where they... Instead of having uh, geolocators that uh, were only roughly accurate, they had very accurate geolocators and they were able to recover them and get all the data off them because these birds breed within just a few square meters of the same place every year despite this 90,000 kilometer migration pattern. They come back to exactly the same place to breed so they were not too tough to recapture and collect the geolocators. Well, they tagged 53 birds and got 47 of the geolocators back. I think pretty incredible. And uh, using that information, they were able to tell very accurately where these birds migrate. Some of them migrate over land, uh, over island, into the, either the Irish Sea or the North Atlantic, and, and just this incredible migration pattern. So uh, these birds travel in a 30-year lifetime These arctic terns can travel roughly a million and a half miles, or the distance to the moon and back, four times. Uh, So they are world champion migrants for a 100-gram bird. That's three and a half ounces, less than uh, the typical restaurant cut of meat (laughs) is what they weigh, 100 grams. So pretty tiny little bird. A super cool story, I think, of uh, arctic terns and migration. Well, what does this have to do with my guest, Matt? Well, arctic terns migrate. The birds he tends to find that he's well-known for finding in eastern Washington, they're big migrants, too. They take routes that are fairly predictable, but not always, and stop over in places where there's lots to eat. So Matt haunts these places where there's lots to eat for these vagrants, and finds them, and I was excited to have a chance to talk with Matt Yanni today uh, on the Bird Banner Podcast, so help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast number 75, Matt Yanni. Matt, welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast. Thanks for talking to me today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll have two uh, virtual meetings uh, in a week. Your first uh, WASP meeting is Friday, I think.
1: Right, right.
0: That should be good. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so Matt, I sometimes start these podcasts, these episodes, by just hearing your birding story. I know you started birding as a young adult, didn't really bird as a, a, a little kid, it sounds like. So tell me how you sort of got into birding and uh, your birding story.
1: Okay. Yeah, I I got some uh, binoculars for Christmas back in 2009, um, or wait, no, that's not right. <laughs> it was 2003. Um and I uh, I got them for astronomy. I wanted to look at the stars and, and then by February, I was, I, well, I remember specifically one day, actually in February, I took my binoculars for a walk uh, along the river. This was back in Big Rapids, Michigan. And uh, it, I was walking along the Muskegon River and I started looking at the birds there and was really impressed. Uh, Uh, With the just by looking at them with binoculars, it's like a whole new world opened up to me uh, when I could see them that close. And I remember specifically three birds that that I saw that day: um, a downy woodpecker, a common merganser, and a cedar waxwing. And I just thought, this is amazing. And it, it, I started to get books out from the library about birding and birds and I was hooked almost instantly. So,
0: very cool. Did you uh, hook up with local Audubon, or how did you? How did you kind of were you completely self starting, or did you find some people?
1: Uh, I remember I did find one person that took me out once. There wasn't, uh, as far as I could tell, there wasn't really a local group. But um, so yeah, I guess it was pretty independent and just started reading books and and just birding a lot, going out in the field and looking at birds. So
0: Very cool. Now, were you in school still then, or where were you at? I, I don't have a feel for where that was in your yeah, Big Rapids, other, other than birding life.
1: Uh, Ferris State University. I was studying optometry over there. I guess I was probably about halfway through optometry school when when that started. And, and then, um, actually, later we moved to... Uh, a community called Chelsea in Southern Michigan. And, and there I, I made a friend There there is actually a very big birding community in, in, uh, the Ann Arbor area, which is, Mm -hmm. that's, that's right by Chelsea. Right. So I didn't really, like I remember seeing birders and like running into them into the field and talking to them, but there was one, one fellow in particular, Dan Sparks Jackson. He, um, he mentored me and uh, just he, he'd been birding for many years and was able to teach me a lot about about birding and birds. And uh, we had a lot of good times together. So cool. Looking at did, birds.
0: You, <laughs> did you move? Did you move to Washington right after you finished school as your first job? Or did you work there for a while?
1: I, I worked in Michigan for four years before okay. before we moved.
0: OK. Mm-hmm. And was it work that prompted you to move out here the other reasons?
1: Yeah, I. I um I, I found a job that I really liked in in Washington I remember actually uh, sitting back in Michigan and I I knew I wanted to move here but then looking at my field guide to Washington State or actually it was just the the Sibley field guide and looking at Washington State right I saw like this big hole <laughs> where a lot of the birds I was like interested in seeing didn't nest in in the area that I was moving to and I yeah. was like oh
0: oh you, would, you thought you were going to uh uh near bay huh <laughs> yeah I was, I
1: was kind of discouraged that about the the burning prospects of Grant County but but then I got here and actually within a few weeks of being here I I, it was it was in june and i um i was just at the, a local city park here in Ephrata with my family and and i heard this call and i was like that's sort of a an int- like something that sounds really different from what i've been hearing in town lately and it turned out to be an american red start oh and i was like that's pretty cool that's very cool <laughs> so i i realized that the city parks in Ephrata could be interesting birding spots so
0: yeah, in eastern Washington, any place a tree grows is an interesting birding spot, it seems right.
1: like. Right. There's some truth to that.
0: So. Yeah. Well, you certainly know Grant County. You have been, for the last several years at least, uh, You know, by far the most avid and uh, successful birder in Grant County, it seems like.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I've been kind of birding a lot here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, you uh, you, bird, you. You've put up some pretty uh, nice years. Yeah, you really did kind of an intentional big year one year, didn't you? What eighteen, maybe?
1: Um, yeah, t- actually, I'm on my third one
0: right
1: now. <laughs> okay, it's kind yeah. of ridiculous, but
0: no, it's it's I totally uh, can relate.
1: <laughs> so totally what happens relate. is I I'll start and I'm like uh, I just have a really good start like in the winter and I'm like wow I think I could beat my old record <laughs> and then I just kind of keep rolling along and.
0: So what do you think your odds are this year? Do you think you have a chance at your 2018 record?
1: Yeah, I'm really close. I I think I'm seven away. And that's oh, my... already?
0: Already, wow. Yeah. Because so. fall migration is pretty big where you are. I yeah. Mean, you're, you're, well, you're, yeah, pretty much right in the prime passer and vagrant season and Sherbert season, aren't you now? It's about, it's
1: coming to an end pretty quick, so I... I hope yeah. that I pick up a few more. <laughs> we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, you certainly uh, did well with the curlew sandpiper. That was uh, an awesome bird.
1: Yeah, that yeah. was totally unexpected.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, do you were do you stopping on your way to work, or how did that happen? It looked like it was a morning, weekday morning.
1: Yeah, I am um, actually um, just before work. Yeah, I just uh, was. Um, checking i i've been like checking specific spots really regularly and um and that perch point was one of them and i i looked out and i saw this bird that was quite a bit bigger than uh the other shorebirds um or sandpipers i'll say right and it looked kind of like a dunlin but i was like dunlin usually show up in like november i think i don't remember like thinking that but i thought something weird here and actually sort of this is sort of a, a side note so I'd gone to Thailand uh, in February and of this year and oh okay I had studied that field guide for like three months like intensely mm-hmm. and and I think something from that field guide was still in my brain <laughs> <Like> <laughs> most of it I've dumped I think but but I saw that bird hop and I could see. That it had a white rump, or oh. it, I thought I did, and I and I was like, that's significant. <laughs> and then I looked mm-hmm. in my my eye field guide, and I was, I I did note that the curlew sandpiper had a white rump. And yes. then I I t- I took some quick shots with my camera, right? And I was like, yeah, hey, I gotta get closer. Like this bird is really far away, and I don't think these pictures are gonna be good enough. And then this prairie falcon came in. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually really kind of lucky that the prairie falcon came because that brought the bird in a lot closer. It started flying All past me. Flushed
0: towards you. Oh, yeah. I wondered how you get such nice pictures.
1: Yeah. And so I, I was like, I think I see it in there and I, in this group of birds. So I just started taking lots of pictures. and Sure. And then I started looking at my pictures and I was like, that's it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so, you got it. And you I got pretty it. excited. <laughs> so, yeah, I bet you did. That was really cool. Grant County is, is has it has a lot of, I mean, I'm not a Grant County expert by any means, but it has, uh, it has a lot of, uh, pothole, uh, pothole state park and a and, and, uh, some, some little oases sort of locations around there and some shorebird spots. Uh, but I remember you took a, a wasp group when the wasp meeting was in Moses Lake, you took a wasp group up Northrop Canyon. And, right. uh, I mean, that's like a, completely different habitat that just kind of happens to be in grant county is that a is that an important place for you in working your big years
1: oh yeah yeah it's got like the ponderosa pine and the and the douglas fir and just some really nice habitat there and it's i guess i don't know if i get that many species there that i wouldn't get like just at a good migration hot spot Mm-hmm. But it's, it is just a really beautiful place to go birding. And, and I, in the spring, you can see quite a, a good number of species there in a single day. So I, I, really, I just really enjoy birding there. I, I, I think it's a, a really wonderful birding spot.
0: We had a we had a terrific field trip that you led for the wasp group there. I, mean, I remember the hermit warbler was obviously the highlight, but uh, that, that was a, crazy. <laughs> a really, it's just a really nice trip. I mean, you just yeah. get re- and and you almost, I mean, you weren't trying to. You almost kind of made a, a Grant County big day out of the trip. And we went here and there and zipping around. And we had a nice list. I don't remember what it was, but it was boy, we had a nice list for the day. It was really fun.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to like hold back from from like oh let's go here let's go there oh
0: well, you know you gotta show off your home county a little bit yeah. for the other <laughs> town boys you know boys and girls yes right. very nice what, what other places in the county do you just really kind of uh have a warm feeling for or just want to haunt all the time
1: well definitely in the fall i'm i i really hit potholes state park and nearby areas in the fall as much as i can because that's that really is where the action is at in the fall. I, I can't think of any better place than that um, for Grant County.
0: Yeah, it's a big, a big, a lot of trees. I mean, it's a, a campground with, you know, rows and rows and rows of uh, deciduous, mostly, I think, but maybe some conifers too.
1: Yeah, there's, like you said, a lot of deciduous trees, and then there's big rows of pine trees. I don't really know actually what kind of pine trees they are, but. So yeah, it's a it's a really nice mixed habitat, and for some reason, in the fall, it's it's really it stands out, uh, but more, more than any other place, I think. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to switch subjects a little bit, Matt. Sure. You've been on you've been on some pretty big backpacking trips. Is that another uh, another real hobby of yours, or something you really like to do?
1: Yeah, yeah, I love to get into remote areas. I love. Just seeing trees and and uh, mountains and and getting into really beautiful places where there's not a lot of people. So. Yeah,
0: <laughs> nothing nothing like socially isolating in a place yeah. that's isolated by its very nature. Uh, tell me about the trip you just took. You went on a backpacking trip just recently, didn't you?
1: Um, well, I went to Glacier. I don't know, if, is that what uh, you're maybe? Yeah, that's to what I was there? thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Glacier National Park. Um, my daughter and I did quite a quite a long hike. We went about twenty miles in, uh, and it was just we, we try to go to Glacier about once a year. We oh nice. We kind of have a tradition of going there and just love how wild it feels there. As far as birding goes, I always try to to do a list while I'm while I'm out.
0: Sure. And often
1: it's not like a really long list, but <laughs> But it's kind of neat because a lot of these areas don't really have a lot of checklists. So right. I think it's pretty valuable for eBird to to make a list. And uh, and then you see really neat things too. Like we were seeing rosy finches and pipits up high in the mountains. And yeah. we had a golden eagle just fly right past us and in these really high wind conditions. And that was. It's kind of funny because I see golden eagles all the time in Northrop Canyon, but when you're on the top of a mountain and you have one rip past you on the wind, it's, it's just a whole different experience. A <laughs>
0: so, little different experience, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one thing about birding that I just love about birding. It doesn't matter where you go or where you are. You can be in a city. You can be in a remote backpacking area. You can be at the beach. No matter where you go. You can bird. There's birds everywhere, and if you're paying attention, you it can make another element of fun out of most any other activity.
1: That's true. I, yeah. I like that about birding.
0: <laughs> it, it is a great side benefit. Is your daughter into birding at all, or no?
1: No, my family. They, I would say they all have a mild appreciation of of uh, my hobby, <laughs> but. Uh, they're none of them are birders.
0: join <laughs> yeah. the crowd. I, I I I was 0 for two with my kids too. Yeah. So, uh, although my son did tell me that uh, he's living in Costa Rica right now, and and he uh, he uh, he contacts me on WhatsApp or some something like that, and, and he said, "Dad, said guess what I'm doing?" He, I said, "What?" He said, "I hired a guide to go birding." Oh, I said, cool. really? And he says, you know how I know he's legit? I said, no how? He said, we're leaving at five in the morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> true, that's
0: true. I said, that's a good sign, Brett. That's <laughs> a good sign. So I guess he he it was actually he met a friend down there who is uh, yeah as a birder, and uh, he said, oh, I'm, I've got this guide. You know, you want to come with me? We can go in on on this guide and go together. And he said, sure, I'll do that. So. Went off birding. He didn't have binos, but he uh, went on a birding trip. So I haven't heard back. That was just last week, so I don't know how that went. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it may have, you know, kindled the fire a little bit. We'll see. Yeah,
1: how could it go wrong in Costa Rica? Yeah, really. <laughs> really.
0: You told me you went to Thailand. Tell me about that trip. Did you hire a guide? Did you go on your own? How'd you do that?
1: Yeah, we we hired. Uh, we had three guides and two that we just loved. Like uh, we had. Um, uh, out of which ball um, and with him it was kind of like the foodie birding tour which was great like we love food and sure um, and he he just took us to all of these really great little restaurants they're all outdoors mm-hmm. and um, one of them in particular had the i don't they, they used to be called water red starts now i think they're just called red starts but there were mm-hmm. two different species of water red start just hanging out by our table. <laughs> and that was pretty neat. Isn't that cool? And uh, just do, I love those international trips. I, I really look forward to doing one again.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are really special. So where did you go in Thailand? Did you get to see shorebirds there too? Or
1: Yeah, that was the one day we didn't have a guide. <laughs> it was the, the day we went shorebirding. So that was probably a mistake. <laughs> just, yeah, well. Because we, we probably could have got spoon built sandpiper if we, if we would have hired a guide, but
0: yeah, but at, at least you at least you get them in the right family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get them in the shorebird family. Sometimes with international birding, just getting them into a family is not easy.
1: I'm I'm lucky enough that to have my brother. He my brother uh, Jeremy. He's um he's come along with me on all of these birding trips, and he's oh, not wow. he's not like a a hardcore birder like me, but he's just sort of a little bit interested in everything and. He loves uh, wildlife, and he's willing to wake up at five in the morning and go to bed at eleven at night. So, so um, yeah, well, he's a great, great a, companion <laughs> to have.
0: Special special brother time. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I, I saw that just on your eBird profile. that You went to Ecuador too. Did he go there with you too? Or
1: yeah, yeah oh, And He nice. knows he knows Spanish, so that's oh. really great for going to Latin
0: America. He Let's see. <laughs> right. No es necesito pero es uh, bueno.
1: Yeah, I don't know. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm taking Spanish because my yeah. my kids kids live in Costa Rica and it'll be oh. a lot easier to visit. But uh
1: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> uh,
0: I'm sure I hope that came out okay. <laughs> Not sure. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so where did you go in Ecuador? Did you have a, a guided trip there too?
1: Um we were we did it 50/50 there and um we we spent our time in the north. We went from we kind of went from the airport down to the Amazon basin. <laughs> yeah. And then we went back up and and then over to the other side and to the to the lowlands of the of the west. And okay. uh, so we we tried we try to see as many habitats as possible. And Ecuador is a great country to do that because. Oh, I've, it's, I've heard
0: it is. I haven't been there. Yeah.
1: It's all in a fairly tight band. You can visit like multiple uh, biological zones within a fairly narrow range. Very and nice. See just tons and tons of different species. So,
0: an added benefit when you only have a week or so, if you don't have to spend, uh, you know, 40 hours in a car driving. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really nice.
1: We really like
0: that. Good for you. Matt, I want to uh, get back to Grant County a little bit. You seem to really have a, a knack or proficiency or for some reason you do really well finding fall vagrant, I say fall, mostly fall vagrant pastorans. Is that? Do you just haunt the same places every day or do you look for weather patterns or how, how do you choose where to go and when to go?
1: Well, I, I guess just I have a few places that I know are good. And and then a few other places that I sort of test um, to see if if they're good, and I consistently to the, go to the places that I know are good, and then also check some of my test areas too. So it ends up being a lot of driving, but it's it's all within a fairly small area. And then uh, there's really just a fairly small range of time when when vagrants are likely to be found, like the. Uh, last week in May and the first week in June and the last week in August and uh, first two weeks of September. That's that's pretty much it. And then I've, I guess, sure, there are other, other times, but that seems to be when when I find stuff and when other people find stuff around here too. So,
0: Do you generally, uh, uh, you know, do you usually hear a different chip note or a different sound or do you see them more often? Or I'm trying to uh, pick your brain a little bit.
1: Yeah, I am really listening hard when I'm out there. I, uh, I'm listening for something different and I definitely don't know like all the Eastern bird songs and, or chip note. I definitely don't know their chip notes, but, but I, I feel like I have a rough idea of what's expected, like the expected sounds. And, and sometimes I don't really, it's not like I know that, but I, I kind of relearn it every spring and every fall. I, I think probably most birders are like that, where they kind of relearn a lot of songs just as the spring starts warming up. And then I'm just listening for something that stands out as different. And, sure. Uh, and I I guess for me, Grant County, that's one of the the highlights of Grant County. I think maybe if I lived in a different county where vagrants were harder to find, I maybe I would have focused on something different, but I, I guess because of the nature of the geography and topography of uh, Grant County, I think that's probably what I focused on, because that's one of the fun things you can do
0: here. <laughs> it, you're certainly good at it, that's for sure. Remembering over the, not the too many recent years, you, you found didn't you find the Eastern Peewee? Do I remember? Yeah,
1: that? yeah, I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you heard that from like uh, a mile away or something?
1: Well, no, it wasn't that far, but it was just <laughs> it was just across the water at at Lind Cooley. and that's a loud bird. Like if you're out east and you hear
0: yeah, they, they do
1: make noise, you're you're like that could be very far away <laughs> because it's just a really loud bird. And and but, that
0: was that was a a relatively common bird in Michigan when you were getting started. Oh right? yeah. yeah, yeah, I was
1: so I was very familiar with that sound, so. I was like, I had my lunch break and Lind Cooley is really just 10 minutes away from my workplace. Oh, very nice. So I was looking at shorebirds and I was literally getting into my car, like foot, one foot, like in the car. And I heard of me. Wee. Yeah, I was like, nice. what? Did I nice. really hear that? <laughs>
0: One thing I don't quite get the whole Moses Lake and the water levels thing. How does that happen? I I mean, I, obviously they drain the lake. I mean, I know how it yeah. happened, but it seems like it's really early that they do that. I mean, you, I don't quite. What is there a logic behind that or a timing? How does that work?
1: You know, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know that.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, because it seems like Lind Cooley, people are birding Lind Cooley by. The end of August, aren't you?
1: Um, yeah, I think even the in water July. levels
0: are da- the water levels are down by yeah. then. Yeah. Okay, maybe yeah, maybe the water levels drop at Moses Lake just that early in the season for some reason. I, I, maybe it just dries up. I thought it was more uh, an intentional drop in the water, but maybe it's just <laughs> the rain goes away and it just dries up. No,
1: I think it's probably intentional. I yeah. and I don't know, really know the whole reasoning behind it.
0: I try to ask my guests if you have any advice for uh, starting birders. You know, some of us, uh, some of us, some of other birders were fortunate enough to to start birding when they were a little kid, and they just have always been a birder, and they just seem to have a big advantage over those of us who started as an adult. But uh, for starting as an adult, do you have any suggestions or advice to someone who might be interested in getting into birding?
1: Sure. Um... I guess number one, just enjoy it. Like it's, that's why we do it. It's because we love it. And then number two would be spend a lot of time with your field guide and, and just in the field too. I think those two things, that's, that's how you get good at it. Uh, when I was, when I was first starting, I, uh, I had a job where I had periods of time where I just had nothing to do, (laughs) so which was kind of cool. And, Mm -hmm. and I, um, I'd bring my field guide to work and I would study it for, you know, an hour or two a day sometimes. And I I really learned my field marks uh, just looking yeah,
0: just through the field guide that. over and over again. So. Field guides remind me of a funny story. I, uh, I met a young birder when I was in Texas this winter and he it was 12 years old when I met him and he's just this extraordinary birder, this brilliant kid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I met with he and his dad. And Ryan was his name. I met with he and his dad, and his dad. I asked his dad said, "Oh yeah, Ryan. Uh, uh, He was four years old, and he just was so into birds. So I bought him this book. He bought him Big Sibley to
1: mm-hmm. look at the
0: pictures. Mm-hmm. And it, the year, the summer of his four year old mm-hmm. year, he essentially memorized Big Sibley and learned to read all by himself." Wow. Uh, looking at the book of Big Sibley, he'd see that he'd see he'd see the picture, and he memorize the name. He'd learn how to spell the name, and he used that to learn how to read the descriptions. And by the end of the, <laughs> the summer, he could read. He learned to read using Sibley's field guide. That's incredible. <laughs> that is a crazy story. Uh, but field guides can teach you a lot of things. I guess they can even teach you to read. That's yeah.
1: going to be a good birder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's already,
0: Ryan Rodriguez, he's already a good birder. I actually had him as a guest on the podcast when I visited Texas here. I just couldn't resist. I uh, you know, felt a little bad taking advantage of a 12-year-old kid to be on the podcast, but he was all over it. I met he His dad's an attorney. I met them at their office and sat down to talk for a while. It just, it's just so cool. And I he actually, because he, he, he doesn't drive uh, and he doesn't really know, you know, Anyway, his dad said, yeah, if you're going birding, uh, let me know, and I'll just send Ryan with you. So he he had a Monday off uh, from school and a holiday weekend, and I took him down. We'd birded all. Oh, he was so good. It was really cool.
1: That's great. (laughs) Anyway,
0: take advantage of what you can get at. uh, Like you think you're going to be taking a 12-year-old out and showing them a few things. Now, this 12-year-old took me out and showed me a few things. It was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think there's always things we can learn from from Other birders, in fact, I just went um birding with uh Con Tran and he um he came up and birded just I showed him some of the areas that I like to go birding and he actually oh, yeah. showed me a species in a place that I um have birded a hundred times or over a hundred times and he he's able to find something that I have missed <laughs> for. Many,
0: many times. Probably but... an owl or a fancy yeah. chicken, as he calls him. Yeah. That
1: yeah. yeah. was pretty cool.
0: <laughs> he is the owl whisperer, for sure. Yeah. Khan is pretty pretty extraordinary. Uh, I, I, I met Khan for the first time when I was down at Bottle Beach. And uh, this he's not very tall. Uh, and uh, I'm out birding with Ken Brown, my friend. And, and this short little Asian guy comes walking out. And he's like in flip-flops. Uh, and how he's keeping them on, sucking in the mud, flip-flopping, just <laughs> goofing around. Yeah, he, he, he pointed out a couple things. I was like, wow, this guy's really sharp. I wonder who that is. So that was Contran. Oh, that was Contran, the owl guy on Facebook. Okay, yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a pretty extraordinary birder. Anyway, Matt, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate you being my guest today. Looking forward to uh, you being on the WASP board uh, next year and uh, meeting you, uh, I think, Friday on our uh, Zoom meeting for WASP, so, or a go-to meeting or whatever, or whatever platform they use. Anyway, thanks again. Thank you. Yeah, take care now. Yeah, have a good one. Well, that wraps up the Burb Podcast, episode number 75 with Matt Yanni. Thanks for listening. I told a little story about Ryan Rodriguez. His episode is episode number 47. If you want to look back, you can find that on uh, birdbanner.com. If you just Google Ryan, uh, you'll come up with Ryan Merrill and Ryan Rodriguez. Check the Ryan Rodriguez episode. Or you can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast feeds. That was a fun episode. You might enjoy going back and listening to that. But anyway, thanks for listening. And until next time, good birding, good day.